is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. Podcasting to you from the seaside town of Edmonds, Washington, where I am happy to be out of the schizophrenic state of Oklahoma. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Tim Kilkenny. And from Hood River, Oregon, I'm Andrew Hoffman. There you go. I thought about mentioning the uh, murder-suicide, like the locally famous Hood River, Oregon, for the... Today is murder-suicide. Was there but, a suicide as well? Well, that's what they found out. So, um, But then I thought that was kind of lame to open with. Well, so. yeah, can be. We could go to my schizophrenic state of Oklahoma, which I just returned from after uh, spending the Christmas holiday there with my beautiful wife. I have in front of me a... Uh, picture that i guess was posted on facebook but someone was kind enough to send it my direction and it's basically showing what the last four days held for uh the great state of oklahoma are you ready okay friday 73 and sunny saturday 81 tornadoes (laughs) sunday 52 and flooding and 31 or excuse me monday 31 degrees and snow Wow. That's 73 degree range. That's 73 and sunny on Friday, tornadoes and 81 on Saturday, Sunday 52 and flooding and Monday 31 degrees with snow. So if like a 50 degree range in um 4 days but a 2 degree difference is going to kill us all. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's, oh, okay. a, that's, a, that's a valid point. So uh and then my mom also let informed me that today Tuesday, uh, December 29th, is it? There mm-hmm. was an earthquake in Oklahoma. <laughs> wow. Four point something. I mean, it's very small, but still. Yeah. Our pets' heads are falling off. Okay. That was, a, that was an old reference. What's the reference? Dumb and Dumber. I was a dumb and dumber. It's just like when it, every everything is going wrong. Okay. Now our pets' heads are falling off. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I mean, uh, we flew out on Saturday, and it was already going from bad to worse. We got held up on the tarmac for a couple of hours. I think we got delayed at least three times for lightning. They're like, we think lightning may have struck the plane as it was coming in. And they're like, yes, lightning did strike the plane as it was coming in. It'll need to be inspected. And they're like, everything seems to work, even though lightning struck the plane on the way in. So <laughs> let's all load up. And then we're loaded up and they're like, the uh, crew can't get onto the tarmac to load your bags into the plane because, well, they're being kept inside because of the threat of lightning. <laughs> Mm. So we're sitting on the anyway. Finally, they loaded us up, and I'm just thinking, we gotta get out of here. We gotta get out of here because I had a bad feeling it was going. I could just. I, I grew up in Oklahoma. I knew. I knew, man. I was like, this is going yeah. from bad to worse. We gotta get out of here. And luckily, we took off. It was a heck of a bumpy ride to get out of there. And then 
uh, did get out. Uh, but uh, I have some friends here locally that went back to Dallas with their four children to visit their family, and they were not so lucky. They spent the first night in the Dallas airport, then they were rerouted through Oklahoma City for half a day, and then on their way to Vegas, and then home by midnight the following day. Can you imagine? Mm. Can you imagine? Wow. Four children under six or seven years old Oof. and uh, staying the night in the airport. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you got rerouted through Oklahoma City, and I said, if you get delayed tonight until tomorrow morning, let me know. My mother will come and get you. And let, you <laughs> let you guys have a place to stay tonight. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, we had a good time. Fun was had by all. Uh, got to see family. Spend Christmas at home, which I hadn't done in like, I don't know, eight years. So that was nice. Other than the murder-suicide, how are things in the Hood River, Oregon basin? Well, I don't think I've done a show since before thanksgiving and now it's almost new year's right that's a valid point you haven't done a show since november i've only done one and that was yep. in, in december with the the one and only dr future do you happen to listen to that episode i've uh part of it part of it not, not all the way through it yet no news stories were covered although we did kind of fit them in there here and there but mostly yep. it wasn't a, a news story episode more of a kind of topical rants and in uh yeah. And raves and 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 the like. So uh, yeah. So I I spent uh, um, Thanksgiving Day in the Providence Hospital oh. in Portland. Shoot. Not not for myself, but because uh, uh, my wife woke up Wednesday morning and was soon was in a little bit of pain and was soon in an excruciating amount of pain. Um, we went to the emergency room and they ended up taking her to Portland and she was there for 11 days. So that was a very, uh, difficult time. Um, the, (laughs) uh, one, uh, nice thing that was said and the nurse was very friendly and I could tell what she meant. Um, but my wife was still in a lot of pain and pain medication and and could not and so when the nurse said um oh yeah pancreatitis yeah that can kill you um (laughs) was not not a super good thing to say to someone with pancreatitis (laughs) so when when the doctor came in and gave her a little spiel and then said, do you have any questions? And so my wife's question was, am I going to die? So, and the doctor didn't say no, but, but she did say, who told you there? <laughs> Actually, my wife said, am I going to die? Cause the nurse said I might die. <laughs> and, um, anyway, so she kind of calmed her down and I don't know if I, I felt kind of bad because I think the nurse might have got a, a talking to me. I can uh, more than I can't. I can. I can almost guarantee that the nurse got a talking to there. That is, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so the end. Um, so she had to wait for her um, for the pancreatitis to die down enough where they could do the gallbladder surgery. And, um, so that's why we were in there 
for that long. And the, the surgeon said on a scale of 1 to 100, the pancreatitis was about a 90. So wow. it was, he said the, the record for hospitalization that he's seen is like three months. So glad it wasn't that, but it was, it was not a, a trivial, trivial thing. Um, but she's doing much better and, you know, modern medicine, uh, certainly has its faults, but when you need to get something, um, it is at least good at doing surgery, you know, for tiny incisions as opposed to a gaping hole. And that's true. That's true. Yeah. I had a niece meniscus surgery years ago and, uh, yeah, they basically took a scalpel and put four, what half inch long incisions on all corner, all four corners of my knee. Yeah. And the, you know, that's it. <laughs> that's all. I mean, they obviously they were able to go in with micro instruments and do, do everything in there, but, uh, no, no major scarring or anything. So that's pretty, that's pretty good stuff. Yeah. So. Well, so you definitely, so that, that was, it. that was, uh, traumatic. we made it home after that and, uh, great family support. I mean, I'm thankful. Uh, my parents watched, uh, Molly for like five days and then uh, Lori's mom came and stayed with us so that I could go to work and you know she could take care of Lori and Molly so um, very thankful for for both sides of the family there and then um, so pretty much my second week back to work I get a call uh, from my wife saying that our daughter had cracked her head on the <laughs> uh, right. living room coffee table. That's right. I forgot and about that. probably needed stitches. So, uh, so we, we tried to find like a non-emergency room option, um, you know, just a doctor to do stitches and no one would do it for either. They wouldn't do it at all or wouldn't do it for several hours. So go to the emergency room. I hadn't been there in 30 years and was there in twice within like two weeks. (laughs) And, uh, so the, you know, she was a trooper by that point. She wasn't crying or anything, you know, big old gash in her, in her forehead. Doctor comes in, gets her all ready for stitches. And, uh, someone comes in in critical condition and there's only one emergency room doctor. It's a small town. So he goes and deals with that for an hour, comes in, puts two stitches in and someone came in with a heart attack. So back out another hour. So it, it ended up taking like three or four hours. Um, but six stitches later, she, you know, she bounced right back. She's doing fine, but that was, uh, kind of a when it rains it pours moment there yeah absolutely uh yeah no one can fault you for for no shows after uh that series of events there but um not really worse but i'll i'll say in jest even worse tim because of not doing the show and i i shared this with you i've i've started posting things on facebook again (laughs) 
which was nice because uh, right before I was headed out to Oklahoma, I got some texts that said, uh, it's probably a good idea we start doing a show because I've started posting on Facebook and this is not good. So, <laughs> so this is- <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, man. I'm not going to, you know, we could have done a show last Tuesday, but I left the following morning. So I wouldn't have had a chance to edit it. And I had poured water on our, on the Revelations Radio News producing device, so mm. I'm sharing one with my wife, and I just it just it just wouldn't have worked. So here we are, and uh, yeah, I just I couldn't do it, so I, I had to wait, put it off a, a week, and then I was gone and, and and whatnot. So here we are, end of the year, 2015, stumbling along, stumbling along, here. and, it's, and th- I, this is I'm grateful because now I know what happens. When we stop doing a show, what I start, there has to be an outlet. There right? has to, there has to be an outlet. That now we know. Yeah. Now yeah, we know. Now we know. All of a sudden, you start posting on Facebook. There has to be an outlet it's, for these thoughts. Well, this is related. Actually, this just came up on my email, and I think it's uh, it's related. It may take a long way around, but this is worth uh, going over real quick. So, I just got a, an email from WordPress giving us our review of our website in 2015. Oh, wow. So uh, to kick off the new year, I'd like to share with you your data on the site's activity in 2015. It says, the concert hall at the Sydney Opera House holds 2,700 people. This blog was viewed about 17,000 times in 2015. If it were a concert at the Sydney Opera House, it would take six sold-out performances for that many people to see it. The busiest day of the year was March 5th with 795 views. The most popular post that day was about. <laughs> so we made an about page? I mean, is that, that's just, just so random. I don't get it. Huh. Uh, the data. Da, 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 da. Okay. So. Is that from like a James Corbett interview or something? I should go back and look at 20. I, 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 well, here, I guess I could. I, I have the power. It's right in front of me. Okay, so remember our conversation about should we stop the show and should we keep doing it? We're, we're not sure. And everybody says be consistently inconsistent, but you got to keep doing the show. Mm-hmm. So how many weeks in a year? Fifty-two. Yes. Why don't you take a guess how many how many uh, how many episodes posted? Ten. <laughs> a little higher. A little higher than ten. Twenty. Uh, a little higher than twenty. Oh wow! Really? Mm-hmm. More than twenty? We've done more than half the show. Half the shows. Oh wow! So that's pretty good. It's not bad. Twenty nine posts. So we're right there. We're you know what is that? Twenty three. So we're, we do a show about every two weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is which is decent. Nothing wrong with that. Let's go ahead and back here. Select the month, March, twenty fifteen. Um, three twenty-five. So our biggest day, according to this, is March fifth. And on March fifth, we did not post a show. Um, that's weird. Let's see if it's maybe from the tie over from the month before. Just seems like that. Did we get DDoS that day? Those <laughs> out of seventeen thousand visits, sixteen thousand were uh, seven hundred ninety-five views. The popular post that day was the about page. Maybe we, and that's just literally the about page. <laughs> so, so that's a little bit anticlimactic, but anyway. Well, maybe that, um, 
I'll bet you that was when one of us were on a different show and they linked to it. Ah, you're right. You're probably right. So let's look here. All right, then moving right along. So uh, our best day to post is Wednesday because we started doing the show on Tuesday. We had eight shows on Tuesday. And now here are the posts that got the most views in 2015. You can see all this in your site stats. I didn't plan to do this. just kind of off the cuff. But who did we interview that would be number one? It's actually not James. I don't think James was interviewed. But RR News 158, Dr. Future exposes the Georgia Guidestones. Most viewed. There you go. Yeah. 143, the ISIS basketball team was up there. Uh, 154 was number three, You Have Died of Dysentery. And then number four was an article I actually wrote two years ago, Is Argo Historically Accurate?, which is still racking in the views. And then 166, which is probably the last episode that you did, Just Add Water. And that is the fifth most viewed one. So there you go. Well, the advantage of not having done a show in a long time is that anyone who stumbles onto it listens to the most recent show. So yeah, the valid point. Um, how did these, how did they find you? The top referring sites in 2015 were number one revelations, radio network, number two, canary cry, number three, Facebook, number four, Twitter, and then Facebook. How did in the world did they find us on Facebook? I don't know. People referring us on Facebook. But you like killed their Facebook page. I did, but other people people can still post a show on Facebook. Yeah, I don't even post the show on Facebook though. I should, but I don't. Well, that would encourage people to continue to. And then our, one of the other ones was uh, Stage Two Omega, which is a <laughs> website I've never even heard of before. So all kinds of revelations. Thank you, Stage Two Omega. <laughs> 140, 114 countries in all. Most visitors came from the United States, the United Kingdom, and Canada. Hey, we, hey, we, uh, we haven't had any offers on burnedout.com, to my knowledge, but we did have an offer on our actual website. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which was an amusing email for me. I don't know. Uh, it was almost insulting. The guy's like, hey, I need to buy this <laughs> domain. Because I need to do a podcast about the end times. <laughs> wait a second. Wait. So you want to buy our website that we do a podcast on. Right. Because you want to do an end times podcast. You guys clearly aren't using it very well. <laughs> but, but I can see how that implication came across. I don't think that's what was meant. But. <laughs> Is that you don't think that's what was meant? But he he didn't even bother to like see what we were doing or mention what we were actually doing. It's just like, hey, it says you own this don- domain, and I would like to purchase it. it. I'd like to purchase it. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So, our I mean, our price really isn't probably all that high, but I don't think he's willing to pay it. So. You think this website could be? We could sell this website. We think you think we would. Well, if uh, broadcast dot com sold for three billion, then it, then I think you know revelationsradionews.com dot com should sell for. I'll, I'd take half a ten grand. I don't know about you, but you'd take five G's. Yeah. 
yeah, for five days. That, that, that would pay for the hospital bills. Oh, jeez. Which, thank goodness for insurance. Otherwise, that wouldn't even pay for... I don't know. Well, do we do we start two percent? Do we start a fund for you? Do, do you have a big bill you have to pay? Um, uh, fortunately, she was covered through my insurance at work. Okay, and you know, I mean, like all health plans, there's a deductible, a significant out of pocket. Um, however, I'm hopeful that my boss will. Um, pay part of that as well hmm. so hmm. that's kind of how he sets up our insurance so it's a higher deductible so a lower monthly but then if you you well if let's you, do it let's do this. all that let's yeah. do this I, i'm gonna i'm going to freeze our uh donation account i'm gonna look at the amount of money in there that'll be the amount of money that we keep towards uh future expenses um, and anything that gets added maybe in the next 30 days, we could look at as going to, to that direction. Going to the, uh, the, the coffers of the Providence hospital system. <laughs> I guess if you're really anti-Catholic, you probably don't want to donate, but I would still appreciate it. There you go. So that you heard it here first. Actually, we'll just go. We don't even do thirty days. We'll just go and, from this point until February first. Every, I'll, I'll find out how much is in the account. Every amount donated at, from here to that point, till the beginning of February, February first, will uh, go to the coffers of Providence and help Andrew pay his hospital debt down. Um, and that'll be that. Well, thank you. And and I will say we didn't plan this year. It's just kind of off the cuff. I'm kind of offering your services out there, listeners. <laughs> I um, and I will say, despite the one anecdote about the nurse saying, "Oh yeah, you, you're probably going to die," um, you know, it, it it was pretty good. Um, care as far as the you especially know, the nurses i mean i don't think people nurses do all the work that's really. true. That's true. Nurse, nurses and other staff doctors you know are they come in for like five minutes and that's a six hundred dollar bill or whatever for them to tell you oh well how are you feeling mm. okay well after recently spending time with one of those slimy doctors i would remind you that they're with the new healthcare plan, are have their hands tied, maybe not by the patients, but by this is the way the system is run. So, oh, absolutely. But no, you are one hundred percent correct. Nurses do do a ton of the work. So, yeah. No, they um, and the the doctors were were fine too, and they they had a, a chaplain mm. you know, come in. They asked, like, do you have a religious? Um, or <laughs> what's your religious affiliation? So we told them we were since since you could die. <laughs> we told them we were Christians, and they, they had someone come in. And then the um, we have just a few months ago um, started going to a, a different local church here. Oh, cool! And the the pastor and his wife came and visited, which is very um, very cool because it is you know an hour drive to to Portland to do that. So. That was that was very nice. So the 
you know, the lo- local church, <laughs> I guess, doing good things. So that was good. Yeah. Nothing wrong with a, with a local church, small so, local church. Listen, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so the, and it, it is very small, but it's a, it's a very, um, it's a good place. Not, uh, not a lot of warmongering or anything. So all, all very good things. Uh, speaking, I, I kind of tease the, uh, the big local news. You want me to cover that real fast? Sure. Yeah, please. Okay. So this is from OregonLive.com. Um, and the headline now, which has changed from earlier in the day, is Hood River Homicide Investigation Now Murder-Suicide. Um, and let's see, it's not opening up. But uh, the only reason we're talking about it is not only is it Hood River, which is the town I'm living in, but the place where they found the body um, is, uh, I don't know, a few hundred yards from my parents' house. Oof. Okay. It's a walking distance away. And um, someone was up there um, jogging, of all things, and there's snow on the ground, so kind of strange to be jogging. Saw blood in the snow and called the sheriff's department. Sheriff's department went up there and found um, found a body and said, it's, you know, we're not, we can't release any de- details, but we think it's a homicide. Um, and what ended up happening is they ended up going to notify the uh, woman's husband and found him dead of an apparent suicide. Wow. Wow. So he had, um, they were getting, they were getting a divorce and it's a very sad and tragic and scary for, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's like the big news in the state and, uh, I mean, that's a, a place where, um, you know, I'm used to ride bikes all the time and, and I've walked through there probably, I don't know, a hundred times in my life. So yeah, kind of a, a very sad thing. Sounds like it was just a, a domestic thing, but it, at first, you know, it's like we're, they're finding bodies up there. Who's, whose body is it? And, and you're thinking someone's still out there who, whoever, killed her but uh that is not not the case so in defense in defense of the jogger i will point out a little uh personal anecdote i pull out my uh run application that's on my phone here and uh so far in the year 2015 i have run 97.9 miles Uh, how much of it was in the snow uh none but at 97.9 miles I am absolutely 100% sure that I will hit. You have to get go to 100. You ha- I have to go to 100. And it, it doesn't matter if it snows tonight. I will run tomorrow or the next day to get my 2.1 miles. So just in, in defense of the jogger, I'm just thinking to myself, like, why wouldn't someone jog? Well, I know. Year-end goal, maybe? <laughs> Year-end goal, yeah. So, um, But even, okay, the are, are you on the website? Did you click through to it? 
the Oregon Live, which is the Oregonians. I was on it earlier. I can be on it in a moment here. I was just on the uh, okay. off, offline version. So, so they they show a picture of the place where it was found. Yeah, I, that's but, the same. But they show it with like, this morning, like two feet of snow, right? Right. That wasn't today. No. <laughs> and it does say file photo, but then in the comments you see everyone referring to, well, with that much snow, yada yada. It's like, no, there's not that much snow, and it in the. If you scroll through the next photo, that was provided by the sheriff's department, and you see like, you know, a the quarter inch back of snow. Of two on the trucks. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, a little tiny bit of snow. That's right. Yeah. So it's like, man, they they can't even. My favorite picture though is the not why on my favorite the story pic- like that. My favorite know. picture is the third one though, where they just just guys sitting around talking in a circle. Yeah. What do you think? That's the investigation. I think. Yeah. I think she's dead. Well, that's good. Good work, Johnson. Yeah. Good work, Johnson. Well, that was so. Anyway, that was the the big local news. Not not very fun news, but I am grateful that there's not an axe murderer running around by my parents' house. So that's, that's good. always good news when there's not an axe murderer running around beside your parents' house. Yeah. All right. Where do you, where would you like to go next, Tim? I threw a bunch of somewhat random stuff in there i can do this one since it was on my brain i saw it earlier today and just had to uh throw it in here so let me go ahead and and hit this one but mark zuckerberg can't believe india isn't grateful for facebook's free internet or or the gates foundation vaccines oh different story Eh, same story different context all facebook ceo Mark Zuckerberg wants to do is make the world a better place for his new daughter. While he's technically on paternity, he's technically on paternity leave. He could sit idle. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, does that not does that not show the the, uh, the separation between the common man and Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah, when he's on paternity leave. I mean, did did, he, you, did you go? Obviously, you went on paternity leave when your daughter was born, right? The the day she was born. Oh, then yeah. then you were off for three months, or then I was back to work the oh, next day. Okay, okay. Anyway, while he's I could have it- used, I could have used one of my. I think I'm actually I might have used um, a paid sick day, paid day off. Yeah, one of my five paid days off for the year. So, <laughs> what is this? That's one thing about America, man. We do work a ton. You even look back, like. <laughs> Place, yeah. Anyway, uh, while he's technically on paternity leave, he could idly sit by. At, he couldn't idly sit by as India attempts to halt Internet.org, Facebook's initiative to provide free but limited internet to the developing world. Last week, the Times of India reported that the country's telecom regulatory body had asked Facebook's partner, wireless character, or excuse me, wireless carrier Reliance, to cease the Internet.org service as it determines whether or not operators should be able to price their services based on content. Responding to criticisms of the program, Zuckerberg penned an op-ed published December 28th in the English language daily. In it, he expected he expressed annoyance that India is debating net neutrality, a principle dictating that telecom operators provide people with equal access to the internet as the country struggles to connect its citizens to the internet. In the process of defending internet.org, Zuckerberg paints India, where about a billion people are not connected to the internet, as backwards for even daring to question the benefits of Facebook's charity-like endeavor. 
Who could possibly be against this? He passive-aggressively asked. Surprisingly, over the last year, it's been a big debate about this in India. There's been a big debate about this in India. Yes, net neutrality is a big deal, but not just in India. In the U.S., for example, an appeals court is currently examining the legality of a new net set of net neutrality rules enacted by the Federal Communications Commission this year. But Zuckerberg almost portrays net neutrality as a first world problem that doesn't apply to India because having some service is better than no service. Net neutrality activists have long argued that Internet.org provides a walled garden experience because the sites that users can access for free are determined by Facebook and its telecom partners, essentially making them gatekeepers to the Internet for poor people. While Zuckerberg acknowledges that Internet.org, which is currently active in more than 30 countries, does not provide people with access to the full web, he argues that it's a step in the right direction. According to the Facebook CEO, half the people who come online for the, ne- for the first time using Internet.org decide to pay for full Internet access within 30 days. Instead of wanting to give people access to some basic Internet services for free, critics of the program continue to spread false claims, even if that means leaving behind a billion people. Instead of recognizing the fact that free basics is opening up the whole Internet, they continue to claim falsely that this will make the Internet more like a walled garden. Instead of welcoming free basics in an open platform that will partner with any teleco and allows any developer to offer their services to people for free, they claim falsely that this will give people less choice. Instead of recognizing that free basics fully respects net neutrality they claim falsely the exact opposite zuckerberg continues by offering an anecdote of a farmer named ganesh who uses the free internet service to check weather updates and commodity prices how does ganesh going to be able to do uh, excuse me how does ganesh being able to better tend his crops hurt the internet he asks rhetorically But examined more closely, his arguments don't directly address the concerns of net neutrality activists. For the people who choose not to upgrade to or can't afford to pay for full Internet service, Internet.org does uh, indeed provide a walled garden of online content. Millions of people already have skewed perception of the web, believing that Facebook to be the Internet. A quartz analysis has shown. Furthermore, while Facebook can add more telecom partners, which would theoretically open up the number of sites and services Internet.org users could access for free, it currently only has one partner in India, Reliance. Zuckerberg also fails to address the com, or excuse me, the claims that zero rated services such as Internet.org amount to economic discrimination, that this is essentially poor Internet for poor people. Furthermore, in an op-ed published in the Times of India in October, net neutrality advocacy group SaveTheInternet.in quoted Tim Berners-Lee, father of the Internet, saying, economic discrimination is just as harmful as technical discrimination, so Internet service providers will be able to pick winners and losers online. Facebook's walled garden could very well determine the sites and services that will succeed in India. Over and over again, Zuckerberg has pointed out has pointed to research showing that Internet access can lift people out of poverty. The fact remains that Internet.org provides limited, slow, subpar access, and that these limitations make it all the more uh, difficult for people to climb the economic ladder. As Neven Patanayak, chief chief minister of the Indian state of Odisha, has said, if you dictate what poor people should get, you take away their rights to choose what they think is best for them. So... I'm kind of curious how how are they providing the internet service? Is it through cell towers or what's the? I think so. 
and then you can only get it. Uh, I guess you're you're asking the technical you, question now. You're just logging on to to Facebook. So <laughs> Facebook is the internet, and then Facebook chooses where you can go. From <sighs> chooses where you can right. go from there. Well, it says, but there's only one other partner at that point. So. Uh, okay. Well, just go to internet.org. Just do it. Why not? Internet.org is connecting the world. There's a picture of a, an Indian woman right in the front. She's smiling. This can't be bad. Like, just because they figured out that um, being able to tell advertisers, look, we've got a billion more users, it's going to make them more money than it's going to cost to provide lousy internet service to India. No, we're still supposed to just say, oh, what a charitable, wonderful fellow. Right. So here it is. This is Internet.org connecting the world, new ways of doing things. So basically the the starting point is Facebook and you got to branch off from there. You got to you got to wonder if the the FBI people who have been proven to be there. Oh, look at this. It's a WordPress blog powered by WordPress. <laughs> um, <laughs> you got to wonder if the people, the powers that be in the United States, the FBI gentlemen that have been proven to be there at the Facebook headquarters are not like, hey, let's get this out of the country. Let's get it like everywhere. Yeah. So, um, and then I actually have uh, the free basics protect net neutrality from Mark Zuckerberg himself. Uh, I'll throw that in the secret folder here, put it in the show notes as well. Uh, so you can actually read the word straight from the horse's mouth, but, uh, yeah, there you go. Which is kind of, <laughs> yeah, the net neutrality, it's used to mean many different things. In this case, it just means like if you have internet service, you should be able to go anywhere on the internet. Right. Which is not really the net neutrality, same thing that's uh, argued over now going to be controlled by the FCC. So, well, somebody pointed out something interesting in the comments section of that article, and that was that Facebook really is just like another updated version of AOL. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a walled garden you log into. All your friends are there, and who knows what they're doing? And you know, it's just. Kind of more the same. And it'll die. I mean, they're already killing it. Are they? Just Yeah, just like... You've got, uh, like, built-in ads and... Um, oh, yeah. I've got, I've got total faith that they'll, they'll find a way to kill it. Just like... I mean, who uses MySpace anymore? No, I understand. MySpace died. But I don't think Facebook dies. No, not I think lifetime. it'll it'll take longer. Yeah, but I hope you're right. I hope Facebook dies. But I've thought this through. I don't think that that website dies. <laughs> too much, too valuable. We shall see. I know we should. We shall. We shall see. I could follow that up with a uh, Facebook will will outlive this podcast, but I hope to outlive Facebook. There we go. So Facebook's going to outlive this podcast. Single, <laughs> single tear dropped my eye. It's one of the worst things well, I've ever heard. That could be our goal. Yeah, is to outlast Facebook. Like, well, anyway, I mean, I'm not saying it's going. To, let me clarify. 
I'm not going to say, uh, I'm not saying there won't be a Facebook. I'm just saying it, it will it's be too, passe. It's too, it's too late, man. My feelings like, are already hurt. It will be passe and people will like, what? You're on Facebook. It's lame. Yeah. All the kids are on. I mean, isn't there still a MySpace? I mean, yeah, there is. Nobody, sure. nobody goes there, but right. Yeah. Okay. Take us um, somewhere. Oh, man. I won't go the football route yet. Holy cow. I just logged into MySpace. It looks like a <laughs> interesting version <laughs> of Yahoo.com. I didn't log now, in. Did I you, did, yeah, I was going to say, do you still have your login information? <laughs> That's crazy. But No, no. Just uh, went to MySpace, and uh, it looks like a... Like an updated version of yahoo.com. Like it's like, it has all these news stories on the front. It's very interesting. Anyway, take us a direction here. I'm rambling. Okay. Well, uh, Viacom bought MySpace, didn't they? I think so. I know that it's got a real heavy music bend now. Yeah. All right. This uh, came from a. Website I've never heard of, which I guess could be a red flag, but uh, rare.us. Have you heard of it? I have not. Okay. When's that ever stopped us before, though? Right. Uh, But I mostly agreed with this article, so I thought it was worth sharing. Um, It's Donald Trump versus the Republican establishment, and neither is conservative. Amen to that. Next question, please. Yeah. Uh, Conservatives are furious at the so-called Republican establishment, and rightly so. Republicans in Congress just teamed up with Democrats to pass a monstrous $1.8 trillion omnibus bill that does nothing to trim government spending. The GOP has remained obstinately tone-deaf on the immigration issue for years, and the establishment candidate for president, Jeb Bush, is a manicured throwback to an era of politics that most people are trying to forget who believes victory in the Republican Party is properly secured by greasing as many wealthy donors as possible. Conservatives are understandably eager to challenge this, so why have they decided to do so by supporting Donald Trump? The most commonly heard answer from Trump backers is this, Trump is going to take on the establishment. Some of them will even confess that they don't actually like Trump or regard him as a serious candidate. They just want to poke the establishment menace in the eyes. Trump is naturally winning this argument. He's far more loquacious than Jeb, and his brand of populism at least has some appeal outside Washington's salons. But neither of these sides is conservative in any sense of the word. Jeb represents the aforementioned establishment, which cares more about placating interest groups and making life easy for big business than any any set of principles. Trump represents what Kevin Williamson calls grow the heck up conservatism a populism off the rails impulse for a dictatorial champion who can produce snappy sound bites and counter the president's executive abuses with some executive abuses of his own given that this champion supports universal health care eminent domain and higher taxes there's nothing conservative about grow the heck up conservatism the republican primary has thus the devolved into establishmentarians and they grow the heck up conservatives gunning at each other while authentic conservatives run for cover. That's not to say there hasn't there haven't been bright spots, 
Senator Ted Cruz espouses conservative principles in a more serious way than Trump, and Senator Rand Paul has triggered a foreign policy debate that the right desperately needs to have. But those are mere sideshows compared to the main attraction of Trump launching missiles at the Republican gentry with the immigration issue his only conservative fig leaf. Trump supporters repeat, um, it's about finding someone who will take on the establishment, and Donald Trump would fill that void if this were a four-minute-long Fox News segment. His ascent to the top of a presidential race suggests conservatives can't tell the difference between the two. Forget the hoary debate about whether conservatism is a temperament or a set of principles. The modern right seems perfectly satisfied being merely an oppositional force, a reaction to the machinations of the Republican establishment. All right, yada, yada, yada. Um, Anyway, mostly agreed with that. It's, and I would, I'll stick with my, um, Oh, your theory is looking better and better by the day. Hypothesis. As a matter of fact, I think I have a, let me, let me find that. Goodness gracious. I was sent something in support of your theory. Oh yeah. I think, uh, I think I received that too. Abby from Chile. And it, um, it was from Aaron Dykes, I think, right? It was his website. No, this is uh, Joaquin Flores. Oh, but what's the website? Uh, fortress.blogspot.cl Oh, maybe this is something different. <clears throat> Faced with the very serious problem of being simultaneously widely despised and yet entitled to be the next president of the United States, Clinton's superiors and handlers devised a brilliant strategy. Let's have Hillary run against Trump, the only human being in the U.S. who fulfills the two most important roles for her, makes her look better by comparison, and scares voters into voting. <laughs> Hillary Clinton is not, is your standard Zionist, uh, pro-war, pro-empire, Russophobic, austerity candidate. These are the expected positions f- uh, for what has long been considered any realistic candidate in the American system to be electable, except for the problem that she has an ex- she's extraordinary, Larry, excuse me, she's extraordinarily unlikable, which makes her unelectable. Yet, oddly, while she's an underachiever, or excuse me, an overachiever, thanks to consultants and other people paid to be honest, she's somewhat aware of this tiny image problem. Imagine yourself as the guy or gal whose job it is to lay out the ugly truth for Clinton, and you'll instantly understand the enormity of this task, and also why Clinton believes she's a person for uh, a better person for admitting this problem privately and tackling it head on. Now, there are a few quite well-known tricks in politicking, and few of these are all about the image. Yes, you look at your opponent in the image, and you find it that it's based on how they look and act and how other things they represent uh, and, and the other things they represent. Mind you, not their positions, but what they represent, their image, a whole array of nonverbal, non-textual, social-based cues. Then you contrast that with yourself. You want to contrast your image on those on those things which you think makes you shine and either creates that halo effect around you or makes the other person look like Satan. That is pretty basic, and then we all get this. When it comes to issues, well, in America, in reality, these are just much less important in politics than in, than the symbolic representation. Now, activists and policy wonks may not agree with this, but because they're in their religion, all voters are act, actually passionate 
about abortion, global warming, and immigration, the new Cold War, and the other things that possibly matter. But the reality is that there are a slim minority who are essentially just pawns in the early stage of the election, the part where you mobilize the base. After that, it's all feelings, posturing, and tossing around slogans, key phrases, and tokens which are rarely backed by any actual policies or real plans. The key to Obama's success was in understanding this fact, but issues can sort of relate to what you represent. So it is important at times to mutter a few things that basically gesture in the direction of your image. Also, your image serves as a substitute for having to say anything uh, on the issues that sort of seem real to relate to your image. But sometimes it's okay to vaguely reference the thing that you, that the character you're playing might actually say in real life. <laughs> Clinton cannot really run as Clinton. She has to be unremarkable and inoffensive possibly during this election and inoffensive as possible during this election. She has to be the person that who, that those wishy-washy Democrat voters will turn out for because there is a much greater and far more evil danger. If they do not enter Donald Trump, thank <laughs> God for focus groups. When shown a photo of Hillary Clinton respondents were no doubt asked, what are the first six words that come to mind? Arrogance, sociopathy, entitlement, Liar. greed, soullessness, selfishness. In these focus groups, another thing that was discovered, when Clinton compared to any potential candidate, including Newt, the Grinch, Gingrich, and Jeb Dynasty Bush, Clinton came out on the bottom. This happened with everyone except when they compared her to Michael Douglas's character from Wall Street, spliced with Darth Vader. <laughs> this is a giant hurdle. Her goal then is to make this election about voting against Trump, not voting for Clinton per se. It's more than the lesser of two evils. It's the idea of villainizing Trump by just letting Trump play the role, mostly based on his own real life character, to such an extent that we actually forget who Clinton is, what she's done, and that she is a murdering uh, war criminal, That a, the, and that across the political spectrum from left to right, we all basically despise what she represents and who she is in a deep and profound way. So this campaign must focus on the real and sheer danger that Donald Trump represents. Now, of course, it's clear that he actually is going to excite and motivate some real grassroots and populist elements of the Republican Party. And with some of the foreign policy gestures, he's also going to pick some of the Ron Paul crowd up, too. Wait, what? I don't think so. What do you think? Uh, well, he is very um, bipolar. Yeah. Yeah. On that, because sometimes they'll say like, "It's not our fight. Let them figure it out." Um, and then, but he's all, "I'm the most militaristic person ever." It's like I don't think. Do you know that militaristic is not a compliment? Like you don't want to call yourself <laughs> militaristic. Um. Remember, for Clinton, this is just about two types of voters, both of which are already Democrats. Democrats who wouldn't otherwise turn out to vote and Democrats who sometimes are prone to vote for a Republican. If nearly all Democrats vote and if nearly all Democrats who vote indeed vote for the Democrat candidate, then presto change Hillary Clinton is your president. Yes. For, this, for this to work concisely and indisputably, Donald Trump must fulfill two very important roles. First, his image must contrast to Clinton so that all of the worst image, all of her worst image traits, arrogance, sociopathy, entitlement, greed, soullessness, and selfishness are in fact transferred onto him. 
Second, these passive standing traits must be transformed into a platform of action, one that we must be terribly afraid of. We must see Trump as Bush on steroids and prepared to destroy all life on Earth. Trump must compel voters to run out of fear to the voting booths to poke the chads for Clinton. Let's be real. Political campaigns are both an art and a science. In the U.S., they are both highly corrupt and, okay, painfully naive people may not just want to read further. Spoiler alert. The whole thing is basically just a stage setup. Most of the time, both candidates are from the two, actually one, party, are carefully vetted by the important power elite groups that the hard left calls the capital class and the radical rights call the globalists and banksters and, oh, yes, the Jews. Ranging from the, and he did, he wrote Jews as a J-O-O-Z. Ranging from the military (laughs) industrial complex to the Zionists to the CFR to the Bilderberg Group to Wall Street and the too big to fail, even the Trilateral Commission has a say. No matter who wins, domestic foreign policy will be about the same and life goes on. Uh, there's not much left, actually. America's complex and problematic, unsolvable issues of class, race, will continue to eat away at the inside while its disastrous foreign policy and the global de-dollarization process will weaken the dollar and reduce the scope of the authority of the U.S. has as a global leader. Sometimes these power elite groups, for bigger narrative reasons important to the overall script of the American story, will all get behind one candidate beforehand. That will probably be the case with most of the... Uh, presidents in the last three decades at least it was with reagan clinton bush and obama if the if those slated to lose candidates uh if the say to lose candidate who is absolutely safe and vetted but not right for the american story script at the time looks like they have bucked the campaign and the smear efforts and just may take it on the election day itself then Diebold will produce an undoubtedly beautiful array of anomalies that will bestow (laughs) victory onto the their chosen candidate Trump is not entirely an idiot. Goodness gracious. Uh, Trump is not entirely an idiot and rather displays some strong innate abilities, moments of good intuition about human nature. And in part of his own thinking, he's perhaps going to use this deal with Clinton. Oh, did I forget to mention that there was a deal between them? To leverage himself to be an actual person to win, it definitely places him in a big-time politics, a place he's really never even been before. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then it actually just keeps going. Golly, it's a whole nother page, but you get the point. I don't think anyone really believes he has problems with Mexicans or Muslims. He's clearly engaging in showmanship trolling for headlines and just saying the naughty things that scores of Americans really think. And by the way, that is true. Having recently returned from the middle of the country, (laughs) I ran into an 88 year old male who said Trump all the way, baby. Yeah. So, uh, that article goes on. I will be sure to put that in the show notes for today's episode. All right. I'm not going to read the article, but there's it was an interview with Linda Tripp. Oh, good. Which I'm just old enough to remember Linda Tripp uh, from the Clinton scandal era. Um, she's the one who provided the audio tape of her and Monica Lewinsky talking about the affair with Bill Clinton. But she says uh, <laughs> it's really important that Hillary doesn't become president. And she talks about the different ways that she's a monster, including um, how she would defame, shut down, and she doesn't say it in the article, but um, actually kill anyone who threatened their political ambitions. And this was the, I mean, 
she talks about staffers having the expression um, eight for Bill, eight for Hill. So, meaning that uh, eight years for the Bill Clinton administration and eight years for the Hillary administration. So this was, I mean, it was always the plan. And how she manipulated the even the Monica Lewinsky affair to have her go from kind of this disliked, irrelevant first lady to, um, I mean, people felt sorry for her. And, oh, wow, she's so strong, even though her husband's a scumbag type thing. Um, and, you know, parlayed that into a Senate seat and everything else from there. But, I mean, she and Linda Tripp's take on it is uh, Bill Clinton, um, you know, was very, very corrupt, but it was kind of a learned behavior. <laughs> and Hillary Clinton was like the monster behind everything. I mean, behind the whole Clinton, every illegal Clinton scheme there was, that's, it's mainly coming from Hillary. Hmm. 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 And, uh, I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but I heard, um, reference to this, this guy who's claiming that, um, uh, Hillary Clinton released the email stuff on purpose, which we talked about too. Sure. Um, to allow her to be kind of an underdog and have this, you know, kind of rally support instead of just having her be like the presumptive nominee. Who's the shill for Good Morning America? Uh, Stephan Stephanopoulos. Right. He's always kind of, and he didn't he trot this out, but then originally de immediately defender, and then had to. Well, face, the New York Times trotted it out, right? And they've always been pretty friendly towards her. Oh yeah. And then Stephanopoulos defended her, and then uh, what happened after that? Stephanopoulos had to uh, admit that he had donated to their both well both but, his, the the Bills campaign and Hillary's. But well, no, he donated to the Clinton Foundation. Ah. But but remember, what uh, we talked about was not like the email thing was kind of the red herring to get people to stop paying attention to the Clinton Foundation stuff, mm -hmm. which is way worse. Right. And um, also, uh, you know, my pet theory was it was advertising. Right. <laughs> Like you give money to us and good things happen for you. So, cause she's certainly had no, she has had no trouble fundraising, even though she is one of the least likable people. I mean, you could pull random people out of the phone book and they would be more likable than Hillary Clinton. Um, it's true. But, it's true. I live in a very lib liberal, trendy area, um, as do you in a way. But you're kind of a little bit. You have a little bit more Republican base. But um, I get more Bernie. I get more burn. Hey, what are you doing? Burn. What do you think? Burn. Ah, uh, kind of like the burn. You know. What about Hillary? Uh, everybody has the same face. Uh, <laughs> even the even the Democrats just uh, right. Uh, I, I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs>
But I, there, I, there are I got, not. I got Bernie's. I don't have a single Hillary. I guess I do. There's a couple. I've seen a couple of Hillary bumper stickers. Very few. I was going to say I don't see many Hillary. No, me neither. But I see. I do see the Bernie stickers up here. Plenty of, plenty of Bernie stickers. Bernie in the yard. Burn all over the place. Yeah. Um, I can't think of a better time to read this than right now. So I will obviously jump to this. Um, this is from America's Finest News Source, also known as... The Onion. After several months of diligent effort, staff members working hard on Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign confirmed Wednesday that they have made significant progress in conditioning her to convincingly recreate and convey a limited spectrum of emotions. According to aides who drill the Democrat frontrunner for several hours each day on each emotional responses to a variety of stimuli, Clinton can now effectively exhibit concern, mild excitement, and incredulity. <laughs> incredulity. Incredulity. Uh, intensive training is reported still <laughs> underway on some of the more challenging to produce emotions, such as polite interest and personal warmth. Maybe you should keep reading this. We did get several tweets out saying that when you read... I am fun. It was the funniest moment in podcasting for that week. There's <laughs> also a tweet that was retweeted by James Corbett. So maybe, maybe you should read this. All right. Um, all right. Intensive training is reportedly still underway on some of the more challenging to produce emotions, such as polite interest and personal warmth. The headway Hillary has made is really encouraging, especially when you consider what we started with. <laughs> said staffer, staffer Cheryl Dumas, who later added that when she began to work with Clinton, the candidate was only able to fluctuate between stony neutrality and terrifying anger. <laughs> <laughs> We're very proud that she can now display a virtually indistinguishable facsimile of empathy. It's the result of a behavioral modification technique in which we rigorously reinforce any approximations of compassion that happen to flash across her face while she listens to the concerns of voters. We're hopeful that she'll have a functional range of 11 or even 12 emotions by the time the early primaries roll around, Dumas added. In her current program of operant conditioning, Clinton has reportedly shown a series of images, such as a widow crying at her spouse's funeral, a family opening presents on Christmas morning, and former House Speaker Newt Gingrich designed to induce specific emotional responses. And depending on the appropriateness of her subsequent facial expressions and other body language, she is either rewarded or punished. Staffers say they begin the process by slowly and painstakingly uh, pairing a correct reaction with the correct stimulus. They reportedly first trained the former Secretary of State to reproduce a happy emotion by repeatedly showing her a photo of a small child playing with a kitten and then rubbing a soft cloth on her face while physically holding her mouth in the shape of a smile until eventually she could display a passable simulacrum of joy. There are definitely some crossed wires, like how she nods and applauds after hearing the story of a family that lost their home to foreclosure, <laughs> which is a great example because Hillary is all in with the big banks, right? I mean, um, but all right, let me start over. <laughs> there are de definitely some crossed wires, like how she nods and applauds after hearing the story of a family that lost their home to foreclosure. Campaign consultant Allison Stevens said, but it's just a matter of time and patience. When she gets the response wrong, we spritz her in the face with cold water from a spray bottle. <laughs> and when she gets one right, 
we let her work in her, on her memoirs for a little bit or call her Madam President in soothing tones. She <laughs> loves that. She also really loves Luna Bar, Stevens continued. She'll do just about anything for a Luna Bar. <laughs> <laughs> Staff members acknowledged that Clinton would be subject to extremely rapid regression if she were not conditioned with absolute consistency. They told reporters they didn't want her to go back to the days when people she met on the campaign trail would voice her deepest worries and she would respond to each by loudly stating, I am feeling empathy toward you. <laughs> 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 there have definitely been some setbacks senior aide tim balducci said yesterday when a reporter asked her for her thoughts on the surge in refugees crossing the mediterranean she panicked and rapidly cycled through the eight or so responses we'd equipped her with thus far before making a painfully stilted reply we really hope to get that ironed out before the first debate next month other campaigns have taken note of Clinton's progress and implemented similar programs, with Chris Christie's staffers reporting this week that they have already had some limited success in training the New Jersey governor not to bite people or defecate on the floor. <laughs> uh, so, um, which actually shows, because uh, a psychopath is good at mimicking emotions, right? Right. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, she, they don't, don't know feel emotions, but they can mimic them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that they can. So she might be some sort of other. They, no, maybe you're right. No, you. I think you're right. You could mimic the emotions, but not because uh, often psychopaths will mimic the emotions, but like incorrectly. A lot like this article is kind of pointing at. I think Bill Clinton is a psychopath. Right, he, but you he, know, he does it well. He mimics emotions well. Right. Okay. Th- th- that's what I'm saying. Right. So she's like another one altogether. Like she can't even, she can't yeah, even she's, do it. Like, she's some sort of um, somewhat defective demon. Yes. Is, is inhabiting her that uh, can't, <laughs> Have can't you ever, operate her fully. Have you ever seen the, the, the footage of Bill Clinton get, getting makeup put on. Yeah. I have. That is, that is disturbing footage. Is it not? Yeah. That is yeah. a, uh, and I, I, people out there, I don't know that, uh, maybe you can find this on the internet. If not, maybe you don't want to watch it. I'll explain. Um, but it's during his, his time as the, in the presidency. And I think he's in the oval office and they're putting makeup on him and the camera's on and it doesn't look like there's anybody home. Like yeah. <laughs> he does not look like, anybody's home the lights go on it goes into the interview and he is this amazing looking person and maybe that's just uh you know you could defend that by saying hey that he's just trying to check it out and trying to relax before and you got to see this vacant stare it is disturbing um and i've also heard things that uh you know even this is kind of famous in even uh, republican circles uh in politics that one time the teleprompter straight up broke and he still remembered absolutely everything that was that was written on it, mm. and uh, continued his speech without even missing a beat. I mean, that's 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 a level of performance that most people can't even dream of. She ain't got it, no, <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think you know maybe that's the deal. She's the villain behind. Maybe kind of like you know your your article or whatever was saying. Right. She's the villain behind the team, and he's the face. 
uh, and it got them as far as it did. But now to put the villain in the house, you're going to have to bring a new villain out. And uh, you're, 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 you're looking more and more spot on by the day with your uh, prediction there. So, yeah, I, and see, the thing is everyone's like, Oh, well, the media's, you know, I heard Alex Jones saying, well, the media is really trying to destroy Donald Trump. No, they are absolutely not trying to destroy Donald Trump. They're, giving him a ton of free publicity, but they're not bringing up anything that would actually hurt him with the Republican base. And he's got tons of personal baggage. Uh, you know, I mean, multiple marriages, I, I guarantee like- you there's, there's scandals galore that are not being brought out until the right time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think they they're going to let him get the Republican nomination, and then he's going to blow himself up for Hillary. Hey, that's 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 about as sound as a prediction as I've as I can come up with. I mean, that's that ain't bad. Um, yeah, and 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 what they've re, remember we talked about it. The reason they had like eleven or 13 or whatever Republican candidates um, is to defray the, you know, kind of the Ron Paul effect. They didn't want a standalone Ron Paul type. Mm -hmm. So they've got all these different guys with, with like one, you know, little pieces of it, you know, like Ted Cruz or, um, and so when Rand Paul tried to get, he's, his brilliant political advisors said, well, you'll have all the people that voted for your dad. So you just need to, you know, soften things and, and broaden your appeal. And then more people will like you and you can actually win. And it blew up. Yeah. It did not work. But it was, I still think he was the, um, the only realistic threat to the establishment. Rand? Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, well, and he be, and, but he decided to play the game, mm-hmm. which says, so, I mean, how, yeah. Um, we had a ton of stories still left in the folder. It's probably about time to wrap it up. We can't cover all this stuff. We can throw some of it on the cutting room floor, but I want to look through. We oh. do have another article in here that, meant, that talks about Wait. Hillary. Stop the show. Stop the, sh- stop the show. <laughs> stop the show. <laughs> <laughs> We're stopped. Okay. <laughs> I wish I had a loudspeaker little thing. That's, I like that part of the show. <laughs> show stopped. Show stopped. <laughs> College football playoff. Oh, geez. Okay. This is a collision of epic proportions. You have the team ranked number one in the country mm-hmm. that they the term Clemsoning means to choke in big games. Mm-hmm. Up against... <laughs> Oklahoma, <laughs> which is, has consistently been rated high and then lost just inexplicable games. In- Let me say this. They are the winningest team in the BCS era, but have also lost more bowl games in the BCS era than any other team. Yeah. <laughs> so just, just put that in your cap. 
It's, and and uh, put that under your thinking cap and, and really ponder that one. So, so during the know, days because- of Pete Carroll's USC, during all of these different rises and falls, the Sooners have won more games. However. <laughs> so I, I would I would pick Clemson to lose and I would pick Oklahoma to lose, but they are playing each other. One of them has to win. Well, big- so I'm going to, I'm going to go with Oklahoma because there is um, less pressure on them. And also because unlike Sam Bradford, I think Baker Mayfield actually has some guts, some guts, some fire. He's ready to, he's ready to go. Um, and it, it, Clemson, are they in the ACC? Yeah. Okay. So ACC big 12, this ought to be good. I do want to say, Let's go Sooners. Obviously, I'm wearing my Sooner shirt. I'm a huge Sooner fan. That is the day after tomorrow. I am looking forward to it immensely. Somebody will have to win, like you said. Um, I'll, I'll be rooting for Oklahoma because it. Obviously, I want out of those Alabama to lose. Out of those four teams, you got Clemson, it, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Michigan State. I mean, Oregon almost beat Michigan State, and they're they're quarterback had been in school for two weeks uh, and had a broken index finger. They still almost beat Michigan State. Michigan State's not good, but I'll be rooting for them to upset Alabama and then well, go Oklahoma all the way. I did tell you, I did talk to a certain Dr. Future recently, and uh, uh, I don't know if you're aware of the allegiance of a certain Mrs. Future. No, I'm not. You're not aware? No. Okay. Well, let me let me make it known. There is a hound's tooth and crimson room at the future household. Ugh. They are someone in the future household is a University of Alabama alum. Is she the uh the lady that calls into all the talk radio to talk about the dynasty? <laughs> I don't think it is, but I think that uh, <laughs> she's that level of dedicated. I have seen. Oh, I don't I have think seen, she's that level of dedicated. To I have her. seen a crimson and houndstooth room. Have you seen this? Her, her name's not Phyllis, is it? No, her name is not Phyllis. Okay, good. All right, there you go. Um, this would be a good end of show clip. Uh, let me see if I can find it. I have an end of show video here. And then we do have another thing. You've stopped the show a little early. Linda Tripp tells Daily Mail why Hillary must never be president. You already did that story, though. So we're good. Yeah, I talked I talked about it. Yeah, right. we don't need it. Okay. Phyllis from Alabama. And a, it'll probably make you watch a commercial before. Let me see if this is the right one. Call of the day. Hey, Cal Turd, you, you are... Just, I don't even have a name for you anymore, except Cow Turd. How dare you say that about Alabama? They lose the game. They lose the game, and they lost it to a good team. The team beat Alabama. But how can you say, after the dynasty took all these years, all these decades, one game is going to mean that Saban's dynasty is over. You're out of your freaking mind, cow turd. You need to go back to whatever the hell you was doing before you got on the radio. And how dare you call me out? You call me out, you're going to get me back. You hear me, you punk? How dare you? I don't understand the way you act towards... It's it's Bama. That's what it is. It's Bama. You don't hate any 
Alabama. And you know why? Because they're better than what you've got. Nick Saban <laughs> is a better man than you are. You could never coach because you don't have a bed coaching in your body. You have nothing but to sit there and insult and damn and, and, and just carry on about everybody that's doing something different than you. You're jealous. That's the bottom line. You're jealous. And Bama's coming back. Bama has not lost. The dynasty is not over. Do you hear me, Cantard? Bama's dynasty has just begun. Kiss my butt. Roll Tide. <laughs> the roll tight at the end. So she was calling the fine bomb show, but she was responding to something that Colin Cowherd had said. Right. And who was at that time on ESPN. Now he's on uh, Fox sports one or whatever. And um, by the way, what Colin Cowherd was doing before he was on the radio with ESPN, he was the sports guy in Portland. For the NBC station. Oh, that's right. You told me about that. It's kind of yeah. rise to fame. Isn't isn't a uh, local hero Bill O'Reilly? Isn't he from from Portland? Well, he's not from Portland, but, but he, he did was a, a Portland he, anchor. He yeah. did a year there in Portland. Yeah, but uh, it might have been longer than a year, but at least a year. But but anyway, so college football. Go Oklahoma. Uh, go Oregon against TCU. Yeah. Should be that should be a fun game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's go, go Sooners. Uh, the dynasty is not even close to over. <laughs> the BCS, can, the BCS cannot contain Bob Stoops. <laughs> but I did, uh, I did tell one Doctor Future and Mrs. Future that I hope to see a Crimson and Cream versus Crimson uh, final, final, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, Someone's so one of the two's response was cream is for girls. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> um, I do want to uh, play us out with a little song here. So thanks everybody maybe, for listening. And maybe what, Mrs. Future would like our show with the football talk. <laughs> she, she might. She's probably like, I'm sick of hearing. Do, do, I'm sick of hearing Dr. Future talk about this <laughs> stuff. So, um, Mr. Doctor Future is a big fan of ours. Uh, Mrs. Future, big fan of my wife's, (laughs) and Alabama. So yeah. Um. Well, I didn't get a time a chance to read it, but I was going to read Joey Harrington's article. Okay. Uh, Despite what you may think, my NFL career was a, a success. Should I put that on the cutting room floor? Oh. Or we'll read it next week. Maybe keep it for future. Right. We'll read the stuff I've, that's I've, left. I played golf uh, against with and against Joey Harrington. So you actually know school. him? I he would not know me whatsoever. But you played. But, uh, you played a round of golf with him. Yeah, and and I I beat him by the way, and I was a freshman. He was a senior, but um, humble brag. <laughs> but he was. Uh, my mom always rooted for him after that because he was very nice and like asked her, "Oh, who are you here to watch?" Oh, you know. I would I will tell you this, my friend. As far as Joey Harrington goes, and this doesn't really mean anything about Joey Harrington, but it, it's it, from my perspective. I have never liked the Oregon Ducks. I've never been a fan. They've also had a rather 
tenuous relationship with my Oklahoma Sooners, but I like <laughs> Joey Harrington so much. I actually rooted for uh, Oregon when he was there. He, he seems like a nice kid. Yeah, he was a – well, anyway, hopefully we'll have time for the article in the future. But basically his point is, um, you know, he he made it to the NFL – uh, Do you want to just read the article he, at this point? I mean, well, okay, yeah. It's it, I might not read it all, but uh, seven seasons have come and gone since I retired from the NFL. I went out on my terms when I was ready. I fulfilled all I set out to do, at least at the pro level. If you find that curious, I'm going to explain what happened at every step in my career, and why, regardless of outside perceptions, I think it was a arousing success but first let me tell you let you in on, on a little secret my biggest football dream growing up was to play in the rose bowl not the nfl sadly it's the one thing i was never able to make happen i was 11 years old when my dad first took me to pasadena it was bo Schembechler's last game michigan versus usc and we'd arrived hours before kickoff we walked around and looked at all the plaques on the wall outside the rose bowl the ones that listed all the previous MVPs. That's when I did the math. Dad, that one's going to be me, I said, looking up the still empty space for the year 2000. Right there, that one. When that year finally came around, my junior year at Oregon, I reminded him again before the annual Civil War game against Oregon State. We were going to Pasadena, I told him. I wound up throwing five picks in a 23-13 loss. Ugh, I remember that game. Our shot at the Rose Bowl was gone. Making... That game was always my biggest football ambition. Not to improve my draft stock, not to be a pro football Hall of Famer, play college football, go to the Rose Bowl, set myself up for success in in life, and have fun. That was it. When I came back from my senior year, we had the best regular season to that point in Oregon history, but were left out of the BCS championship game, which, of course, was held at the Rose Bowl that season. We felt we'd earned the right to play Miami, but were bypassed for Nebraska, which was behind us in the polls and hadn't even played for its conference championship after being pounded by Colorado, which we would defeat in the Fiesta Bowl. That was my final chance at a Rose Bowl dream, and it was taken from me. The irony, though, and I've said this before, and a lot of my former teammates have given me grief for it, is the way the story played out couldn't have been more perfect for Oregon. The whole country thought we should have been in that national title game, and the fact that we weren't created some buzz. It drew in viewers and otherwise uh, wouldn't have wouldn't have been there. It created fans. By us playing in the Fiesta Bowl and winning in such a blowout f- fashion, we not only made new temporary Ducks supporters, but kept a heck of a lot of them as well. Had we gone to the Rose Bowl and pay, played that mighty Miami team, the fairy tale ending might have changed. We would have been up against a team that wound up having six guys drafted in the first round. We had one of the best draft years in Oregon history that season, and we had six guys drafted total. If we play that Miami team ten times, I honestly think we win three of them, not unlike how Ohio State eventually beat them the following year. Had we played them and lost, the national narrative may have changed, at least in the short term. But what we helped put in place for the long term still would have been there. When I first got to Eugene in 1997, I was part of a ragtag group of freshmen that, for whatever reason, ruffled a lot of feathers. We weren't okay with being average, and we let everyone know it. When we talked about things like winning national championships and going to the Rose Bowl, people sort of dismissed us. That was fine by us. Here was a bunch of two- and three-star recruits who came in, and I think it's fair to say, completely changed the program. 
to go from a six-win season in 1997 to being the first 11-win team in school history our senior year, it was incredible even if we ultimately came up short of our goal. Throughout that process, we experienced something few people ever have the chance to, building something successful, strong, and permanent. Now, here's my NFL story. In 2002, the Detroit Lions selected me at number three overall. The four years I spent there absolutely crushed me. By the time I left, I was a shell of the player I once was. Here's an example of how broken things were by the end. I remember walking into the office of then-coach Steve Mariucci and telling him, I need you to give me permission to throw the ball down the field. I'd never felt so down. At that point, I was just searching, grasping for some kind of support. Why do you need permission, he asked. I'm afraid to make a mistake, I said. You tell me every day if it's close, check it down. And I've gotten into a rhythm where all I do is check it down, and I'm afraid to throw it down the field. He got up, went to his closet, grabbed a toothbrush, and started brushing his teeth. Then he walked towards the door and said, I have to go do some interviews. I'll be back. If you want to come back later, we can talk. He just left. That was at the very end when things all but collapsed around me. Mariucci was a good guy who was trying to save his job. But when one of my teammates went out and said I was the reason our coach got fired, it created a situation where I was just imploded mentally. I couldn't handle it. This wasn't football. This wasn't team. This wasn't fun. Through the gentle nudging of my general manager, Matt Millen, who was, in my opinion, one of the only stand-up guys in that organization. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, man, well... how much of a bashing on that organization is it if Matt Millen was a highlight? It's the worst general manager in football history. Um, but he, lot- he wasn't saying best his job. He just said most stand-up guy. So. Yeah. I spent a lot of time with the sports psychologist trying to figure out how to get my confidence back. In the NFL, and especially at the quarterback position, if you don't have confidence, you're done. There are 100 guys out there who can throw a comeback route and 100 more who can throw a post but there are only a handful of quarterbacks who can have the route picked off, then come back again and throw it again, who can get knocked down or get hit in the teeth and throw it again. That, to me, is the difference between making it to the NFL and being great in the NFL. I'm sometimes asked if I was put in an unfair position in Detroit. My answer is always immediate and the same. No. Saying so implies I was the only one in that kind of a position. Welcome to the NFL. Pick a year and I'll give you five guys who were the same type of spot I was. For all of my prior success, all the balls I had bounced my way through college, I wasn't prepared to deal with it when things no longer went my way. If we're being honest, not a lot of people are. Toward the end of my tenure in Detroit, Millen and I sat down and talked. He asked me flat out if I wanted to be there anymore. I told him I didn't know. He just brought in Mike Martz, at the time one of the NFL's most celebrated offensive gurus, just a few years removed from having helped take the Rams' greatest show on turf to the Super Bowl. It was Millen's belief that Mike could get me back on track. After Matt, I spoke with new head coach Rod Marinelli. Look, Rod, I said, if you want me to be here, I will be here because I respect you and I respect Matt. But with the exception of one or two guys in that locker room, the rest of them can go to hell. At that point, I felt like I'd given everything had sacrificed for my teammates, and all they'd done was hang me out to dry. The day everything happened was with Dre Blythe, the scapegoat saga, Only two people came up to me and said anything. One guy in the locker room and the chef in the cafeteria. My message to Rod was, I'll play for you. I respect the fact that you can sit down and have an honest conversation with me. But you need to know what's happened up to this point. What I wanted, like any player does, was options. So when I met with Nick Saban, I remember this very clearly, we sat down at the dinner table and he said, 
We traded a second-round pick for Dante Culpepper. We're going to trade a fifth-round pick for you. I don't care what we're paying him. I don't care what we're paying you. He's going to get the first-team reps. You're going to get the second-team reps. If he plays better than you, he's going to play. If you play better than him, you're going to play. Can you handle that? I said, that's all I've been looking for. After that, I told Matt I was going to Miami. I still talk to Matt Millen to this day. He's a fantastic, wonderful guy, but it was time for both sides to part ways. As it turns out, Miami was where I met two guys I say were most like me, the coaches I felt most connected to in the league. And it's kind of funny, these two names too, I don't like either one of them, but uh, Jason Garrett and Mike Malarkey. They were tremendous football minds and even better people. Before Miami, I was as low as I'd ever been mentally. I had to spend a good amount of time trying to get back to who I was, and those guys were instrumental in that. Jason and Mike understood life in ways that a lot of people don't. They grasped the importance of putting in work on the football field, but they also understood where football fell in the totem pole of life. What they had was perspective. Looking back, I see it as one of the greatest gifts football has given me. As for Saban, he and I actually had a really good relationship. Many people think of him as a little dictator, but we got along really well. He could be honest with me and I would listen. After four years of having said uh, something said to my face and different things said behind closed doors, all I wanted was a coach who told me where I stood. Nick gave that to me. Part of me thinks that had Nick stayed in Miami and not left for Alabama, I'd have stayed there as well. There was a sense of stability about Saban's stint in Miami. In another life, it might have been the place where I really regained my football footing. Sadly, this is this one had other ideas. Thanksgiving Day 2006. I'm with the Dolphins and we're back in Detroit to face the Lions. It was the most gratifying day of my NFL career. 213 yards, three touchdowns, and more importantly, a win. Afterward, I stayed in Detroit and flew back to Portland to be with my family. On my ride to the airport, I heard one of the sports talk guys say, Well, he only threw for 220 yards and three touchdowns. It's not like he threw for 350. Even in victory, even though I'd, I'd only thrown one pass in the fourth because we were beating them so badly, they found a way to try to bring me down. So yeah, you can say it was that was a satisfying day. It's impossible to quantify that a, uh, what a performance like that can do for a quarterback's confidence. For the first time in what felt like ages, I'd proved to people and to myself that I could still play this game and play it at a high level. My reputation as a quarterback was never about my arm. I was never a fast runner nor adept at throwing lasers into tight coverage. My strength lay in my ability to read a situation, process the information, and get the ball where it needed to go, all while getting my teammates to follow my lead. Uh, So many times at Oregon, we'd be down in the fourth, and I'd walk into that huddle and say, okay, let's go win, and no one doubted it. That's who I was. That's what I did. That's what we did. That was his his nickname was Captain Comeback in, in college there. That was his cheesy nickname at Oregon to be fair Jim Harbaugh had that nickname when he played for the Colts (laughs) yeah uh by the time during which I started playing in Miami was also when I started asking myself what is this world I'm living in knowing I wasn't defined by football had been a, a long had long been a kind of psychological cornerstone for me I never felt football define me I was a good person with many interests beyond the gridiron who happened to play football Truth told, that feeling took away a little bit of that edge. As soon as football no longer defines you, the consequences of losing aren't as dire. When I started to shift my mindset... Anyway, well... Yada, yada, yada. But anyway, he 
he did get cut before he quit, but he probably could have got on somewhere else. And he just decided, I'm going back to Oregon. I'm going to, like, um, him and his wife had just had a couple of kids, and he decided it was more important to him to actually have a normal family life and to raise a family and what have you rather than, uh, you know, keep chasing the NFL dream forever. So That's unheard of in America. Yeah. <laughs> normal so. family life over money. That's weird. And he also talked about the concussion thing. So. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the other thing is long term effects. Does it outweigh the possibility of maybe doing well? I always rooted for him. I like Joey Harrington. He seems like a good guy. So, is it is it? You know, he played golf and was a good uh, piano player. I was as well. say, yeah, he was a piano pro. You know, <laughs> na- you know, there's another pro player right now who's a piano pro. I don't know if you know this, but Keenan Allen of San Diego really? Chargers is a piano guy. Yep. Oh, he was on my fantasy team until he ruptured his spleen or whatever happened to him. That was a crazy kidney? crazy yes. acrobatic catch, and then he ruptures his kidney. Kidney, yeah. All right, yes. I, I gotta pl- I gotta play something. This is it's not gonna fit any other time. We gotta play it now. Okay. This came out just after the uh, last mass shooting that happened earlier this month. All right. The United States of America is the one advanced nation on earth in which we do not have sufficient common sense gun safety laws, even in the face of repeated mass killings. But this is something we should politicize. Come out, Obama, and lecture us now. There's been another mass shooting in another small town. Politicize it while the blood is still fresh on the ground. So start pounding that podium. That you always give Pushing the same old liberal anti-gun narrative But you can be 100% positive That when a crazy person shoots someone You know Obama's gonna blame the gun That's what he does And he always blames the gun He always blames the gun You tell us new regulations are good for us all Because we all know From a bunch of nuns And who cares about all those inconvenient facts Like that a background check wouldn't have stopped the attack They say the only way to stop a murderous maniac Is through some federal legislation Because the liberals always blame the guns It's a brain free zone Should look into this thing they call the Constitution. 
want a serious crisis to go to waste. still say 4,700 views is not enough for that video. (laughs) There you go. Obama's going to blame the guns. Today marks two days before the end of the year 2015. Andrew Hoffman, any words of wisdom as we close out 2015? Obama says blame the gun and I say blame the government. You say blame the government. Blame the government for the mass shootings? Oh, just in general. <laughs> so there we go. Any uh, any any other words of wisdom you have for us? Oh, uh, Chip Kelly, go to the Titans. It's my career advice for Chip Kelly. You gotta love Mariota, man. We're right. We're right back into football. We're in the thick of football, people. If you don't like football talk. Don't listen to shows in the late December. If you don't like football, move to Canada. If you don't like it, you can get out. <laughs> this is America. I was just in Oklahoma. And they're all voting for Donald Trump all the way. Woo! <laughs> That's actually not too far off, boss. Yeah. All right. That is it. That's a wrap for our year and podcast. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks for sticking around for so long. Thanks for waiting for me. I was so late. Uh, much love to you and your family from uh, those of us over here. And like I said, I'll put a freeze on the account. Not a freeze, but I'll, I'll check the account balance. Any additional funds before the date of February 1st goes directly to the Hoffman household to help pay for medical bills. Thanks for listening to our show. Thanks for sticking with us through another year. And uh, hopefully we'll be here through 2016. And it'll be awesome. And Hillary will not get elected. That's all I got. Yep. If there's no uh, Bush, Clinton, or Trump in 2016, I'll be happy. Unfortunately, got a bad feeling... I'm not going to be happy. About Unfortunately, the you'll just have political to be outcome. That's right. Unfortunately, you'll just have to be happy anyway. Yes. <laughs> 
Alright, well that's it. 2015 is a wrap. On to the new year. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com, and thank you for your support of this podcast. Don't you say Talk to you next year, Tim. Yes, sir. <laughs> next year. I'm not next doing a year. podcast till next year. No. This is it. All right. All right. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry, Harry. What happened? His head fell off. His head fell off? <laughs> yeah, he was pretty old. <sighs> oh, that's it. I've had it with this dump! We got no food, we got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off! Okay, just calm down.